0: This episode is brought to you in part by D6 Conference, a pivotal event for family ministry dedicated to nurturing discipleship based on Deuteronomy 6. Empower your ministry team and family by joining us. Register now at d6conference.com. Hello, this is Russell Moore, and you're listening to Signposts. Those who've been around me for a while know the kind of music that I like, so you'll understand what I mean when I say this. When I look back at the year 2017 in my life, I started the year off feeling like Hank Williams at the end. Uh, in the back of the Cadillac, headed through West Virginia. And I ended the year feeling a lot more like Jimmy Buffett, hopeful and and happy and and rested. And a lot of that had to do with this guest that we're about to have on the program right now. Because I was exhausted. I was uh, stretched way, way too thin. And in the middle of that, a friend of mine, Justin Taylor at, the, at Crossway Publishers, uh, I think knew that, and he said, hey, you might like to read this book that we're about to publish. And so he sent me the galleys for a book called Reset, Living a Grace-Paced Life in a Burnout Culture by, uh, by David Murray, who's the guest that we have uh, with us today. Uh, David Murray is professor of Old Testament and practical theology at Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary. You have probably read uh, other stuff that he's written or heard him uh, speak or preach at a conference or or online. And so he, he sent me this uh, this book, and, you know, that's kind of a, a vulnerable thing to do, to say to somebody, hey, I think you probably need to read this book on burnout. <laughs> but just an edit of confidence, I think that our friendship could take it, that if I had received it badly, we would, we would survive. But I didn't receive it badly, and I read that book and uh, found it immensely helpful. And then actually in March of that year, went uh, up to Grand Rapids and met with uh, David. He was he was uh, really gracious to uh, host me in his home uh, for an entire day as we just sort of walked through schedule and walked through issues of life. And so I think there are a lot of you right now who need to read this book, need to hear some of the things we're going to talk about right now. And there are some of you who don't yet, but you will at some point later on in your life, or you have somebody in your life who does. And so, David, thanks so much for being with us on Signpost today.
1: Russell, thank you for that very warm introduction. I have no idea what your musical references were, but um, (laughs) everything else I understand. (laughs) Yeah, it was a blessing for me to meet with you too, Russell. And as in all these situations, we learn from one another. And uh, it was a very happy memory that day. And it was just a great day of Christian brotherhood and mutual support. You
0: know, there are a lot of people, I think, who are listening to this
1: who are going to
0: end up talking to someone who is, um, if not burned out, someone who is just... Overtaxed and uh, and tired and exhausted and all sorts of different situations. So you think about uh, when I walked into your house that day. You didn't necessarily know uh, what uh, what was going on with me, but you were able to in in talking to me sort of figure it out and give some really good counsel and very practical advice. How would someone do that? I mean, what sorts of things do you look for in someone's in someone's life to figure out is this is this person too busy or is this person in some other situation? How, how do you figure that out?
1: Yeah, I mean, through my own personal experience of burnout, Russell, and and then just talking to many men in similar situations over the years there there are some patterns that begin to emerge just some commonalities that you know eventually once you know what to look for they're pretty obvious and you know i just usually walk through a few areas just starting really with the physical Mm. you know just things like general ill health back pain stomach cramps um, lack of sleep then moving into the mental realm you know, lack of concentration, being distracted, maybe obsessive thoughts, a bit negative, uh, and then just go through a range of things and emotions, relations, at work, uh, what's happening at work, moral issues, spiritual, and very rarely does someone light up on every single one of these, mm-hmm. but I think just trying to help men see objective reality, because sometimes, you know, we... Men, especially say like yourself, Russell, you know, very strong will determined, and disciplined. We can push ourselves, Mm -hmm. even when we've got warning signs. And so I think sometimes just to, just to, hit the buffer, pause. And, and begin to look at things with the help of someone usually alongside us just to help us be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course you need some, as you mentioned earlier, vulnerability, a humility to just say, okay, you know, I'm, <laughs> speak into my life and help me to hear.
0: Now you mentioned men. Does it, does this sort of thing tend to exhibit itself differently often in men and women in terms of how they, how they experience this sort of exhaustion or burnout?
1: There's some overlap, um, maybe fifty percent overlap, but mm. there's another fifty percent that's pretty gender specific, mm. uh, both in causes, um, symptoms, and and cures as well. So, yeah, I think you've you've got to be sensitive to the differences that God has built into us, and for that reason, I think you know men are usually better at helping men, and women are usually better at helping women, and. My wife wrote a similar book called Refresh because we felt that women needed it as well. And yet, Mm -hmm. you know, the man's book just didn't quite hit that spot.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, you mention in the book, uh, really, really helpfully, you you sort of go through page after page of warning signs, uh, of ways to uh, look at one's life and, and to try to discern whether or not one's in a in a danger pattern here when it comes to, to burning out. What, what are some of the warning signs that someone should look for?
1: Yeah, it varies depending on each man there. There, again, there's overlap, but I think we've always got to be conscious. We're dealing with very unique individuals. So not everyone fits the same pattern, Mm -hmm. but what I've noticed in men is, you know, what's usually sacrificed is sleep. Um, a weekly day off um time in with your wife and uh, you know dates or time with family and even just simply things like anger i think if there's a a uniquely male manifestation of burnout stress you know depression anxiety it's probably anger ir- irrational excessive anger mm. over you know minor things And, you know, when I've walked men through this, what usually happens is by the end of it, men are sort of sitting there with their eyes popping and their mouth open. Mm. Um, Like, wow, I did not realize I was so unhealthy, but it's sort of an honesty check. Yeah. And... Again, you know, like min- Russell, you know, ministry is such an enjoyable job. Yeah, <laughs> it's so yeah. satisfying, and and so that energy can keep us going beyond our human limits.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, you mentioned in in terms of these warning signs, and you you referenced it just a, a few minutes ago. Some uh, exhibitions of of anger or of irritability or of uh, or of frustration. How can someone tell whether or not that's a manifestation of something external going on in one's life that needs to be altered? And if that's just, uh, a, you know, as, the, as the New Testament would put it, a quarrelsome person uh, for whom that's really a, a deep-seated moral and spiritual issue, how, how does one discern that?
1: Yeah, I usually try and talk of three dimensions. So, you know, okay, you've got all these warning signs, but you're looking at length. How long does it go on for? Mm. You're looking at breadth. So how many of these do you have? If you've only got one, it's unlikely that you are burned out or stressed, for example. And also depth, how intense, how um, hot, how concentrated are these experiences? So, yeah, we all have bad days. We all have weaknesses in our temperament. But I think if you use these dimensional aspects, you begin to get a better handle on just what is yeah, just part of our sinful humanity, and what is now into the realm of a, a problem that is is beginning to incapacitate us or destroy us or others in our lives.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think I think you should uh, you think you're right that you should take into account uh, temperament. Uh, so, uh, for instance, uh, I'm somebody who's never had a problem with anger. I don't uh, lose my temper. I don't. Uh, uh, I think that people around me would, would uh, say that uh, they, they don't see me angry and, and upset and yelling at people or anything like that. But one time, my fourth son, when he was really, really little, he may have been in kindergarten, he, and he is, the, he is temperamentally the, the most uh, easygoing, warm, jovial uh, one of all of my children. And, and he said, um, he was talking about something that his teacher had said in class, And he said, "I just smiled and nodded, but I thought on the inside, we'll see about that." And I thought, "That's me." Uh, Often, that's the way that frustration manifests itself. It's not in some visible temper, but there's a there's an inner sort of numbness uh, that can come about. And I think there are probably a lot of people who are like that that would think, "Well, uh, I'm not sort of falling to pieces the way that some people I've seen in my life have. Instead,
1: I'm just." Numb. Yeah, I mean, Russell. Before I I met you, I honestly I used to watch your ministry online and and CNN and places like that and think, how does he do it? Like, how do you? maintain unfailing cheerfulness in the in the face of just onslaught and controversy and, you know, fighting for the truth. And God has definitely given you a, a calling and a temperament that matches really, really well. Um, and I, th- I think you're actually quite unique in that. There aren't many like you. And yeah, so you're right. Your manifestation of this is going to be different, but I, I would still say that's quite rare. I think the majority of, of men are are more on the irritable, angry side of the Ooh, spectrum mm-hmm. uh, as a result of burnout and stress. But yeah, I think to be sensitive to the unique way God has made us and yeah, maybe, maybe it'll manifest itself in different areas of life in different ways.
0: Yeah, you know it's uh, it's something that you, uh, you you talk about later on in the book about uh, people pleasing, and I really paid attention to that section because that's a that's a weakness and a vulnerability for for me is uh, the sense of wanting to be received, wanting to be accepted uh, by people, and that can be an exhausting sort of life. Uh, regardless of, of whether uh, people receive you or they don't, it's still equally exhausting in, in some ways, because if, if somebody's given toward people-pleasing and doesn't please people, then they feel as though their life is, is a wreck. And if they do, uh, please people, then that becomes their employment is in, in is in pleasing people, and of course, as followers of Jesus Christ, uh, we're called to please Him. And but that's hard to do. How does somebody sort of try to evaluate? Am I unduly uh, in in bondage to a people pleasing sort of mentality? And if so, how do I start to to get over that?
1: Yeah, we we all to one degree or another struggle with this i think especially in ministry where so much of your effectiveness depends on your ability to connect with people and keep relationships going then we are probably particularly vulnerable to that and i think that for myself at least russell and i can't speak to this in for everyone but I've noticed for myself that my my people pleasing tends to really uh, grow and strengthen the the further I am away from a, a daily constant connection with God, mm. and you know just trying to live that coram Deo life, that life before God, uh, not just you know having a personal devotional time and, and going to church, but actually trying to live that whole life. Um, in the fear of the Lord which is the beginning of wisdom and and building that God consciousness so God becomes big and people become smaller and, and I don't think that makes you careless about people's thoughts towards you and their feelings towards you but it just gets the priority right mm-hmm. so I don't know what you found Russell as a help but that's I know for myself when I'm falling into that bondage it, it's time for me to really work on that daily connection and communion with God. Mm. What
0: are some ways that you would recommend uh, to do that? I mean, h- how do you make sure that you are in, uh, in the Word of God, that you're, you're regularly praying, that your prayer life doesn't become stale and rote? What are some suggestions that you might have for people?
1: Yeah, I, I suppose I'm a method guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't rely on spontaneity and sort of flashes of inspiration rarely in my life. So I have to build a fairly regulated approach to this, which can can become legalistic if you let it, but I don't think it needs to become legalistic. So yeah, I would, I would want to start the day with God, and that means before the Internet, before email, before social media. I've noticed a huge difference in my day Mm. if I get that order right Mm -hmm. um, for both good and ill. And again, uh, talking to a lot of men through the years, that is often where it goes wrong from the very beginning, just that you know it's as if every day we start with a blank sheet and and what is the first impress that goes on it in the day Mm. is really it stamps the day whether Mm -hmm. it's the world or the word Mm. and so that's where i begin and then i've just tried to sometimes i've done even ridiculous things it may seem to some people but set an alarm on my phone so that you know every hour i'm reminded okay, just even take a minute to pray and reconnect with God. Or mm. I associate that with, say, having a coffee, which I do far too much through the day, but yeah. the benefit is you begin to pray more. And so for me, I've got wow. to associate I, it with someone.
0: If I start to do that and pray every time I have coffee, I am going to be a prayer warrior for sure.
1: That That is a good, <laughs> that is a good suggestion. Or let me add one more. And again, this is what I'm working on just now whenever I go to social media, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, um either replacing that with prayer or preceding it with prayer. Uh, uh, and again, uh. it's not about praying, about going on to social media, but it's just using that as a trigger, a yeah. bad habit, as it were, <laughs> to trigger a good habit. Yeah. Now, a, a
0: lot of... It, I'm actually surprised. You brought up uh, social media. I'm surprised by when I'm talking to people and encouraging people behind closed doors, whether in ministry or not, I'm surprised at how often social media is actually at the forefront of uh, of that sort of burnout and exhaustion. And that really, it seems to apply to people no matter what their situation is. I've talked to a pastor who is really just beaten down because he has— people in his church who are sort of constantly critiquing him on social media, and so he's kind of constantly watching that in a way that I'd say, stop even looking at it. Or I've had people who don't have anything like that going on, but they're just watching what is happening in other people's lives and and start to feel empty uh, about their own life. How should somebody start to figure out how to manage social media in a way that's healthy, um, without leading to, to something bad?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And it's a, a challenge, as you said, it's facing not just ministry leaders, but you know, men, women, kids everywhere. I think it is largely the, the greatest cause of anxiety and depression in teens today, I would trace to social media. Mm-hmm. I think that the data supports that. We were never designed to know so much. Mm. we were just god never meant us to have so much information in our daily lives if you actually look at the the gigabytes of information that we process each day compared to even 20 years ago it's it's of a magnitude of something like nine or ten times more and and we just haven't become bigger brained people we're just squeezing a lot more in there and it's and it's also about the quality of the information that's going in there. If it was all the word of God or good books or good podcasts, um, you know, that's that's one thing, but it's not. It's just it's the trivia. It's the false. It's the fake. And it's it's really devastating, not just a spiritual health, as you said, but mental health, yeah. emotional health, relational health. And thankfully, I mean, the secular world is, I think, ahead of us here in a way. They are. I've seen increasingly endeavours to really get this under control and 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 get some good habits in life. I think future generations will look back on our generation and just think you were mad, you know, you were absolutely yeah. crazy to think that you could live life like that and get off with it. So there's lots of good helps out there. On a Christian level, the TechWise family has been a big help to me and mm-hmm. my family. That's by Andy Crouch, yes. I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so I would just start with a simple book like that and, and really implement his 10 commitments one by one. And I think you need your whole family on board, and try and, you know, lead your home to digital health and through that emotional and spiritual health too.
0: What would you advise to to parents or maybe, I mean, we have people who listen to this who are teenagers themselves and we have others who are parents of teenagers. Often it seems that that sort of um, performance kind of mentality, I have to achieve, I have to accomplish, I have to win, it starts there if not before. So what would you say to someone who is or who who is parenting a teenager to
1: say here's how you you get a hold of that now? I think it actually starts with the parents Russell the the pressure that good parents the best parents the best intention parents are putting their kids under yeah is is beyond it's intolerable. If I, I mean I when I when I was Growing up, uh, well, that's only 30, 40 years ago. I don't think it's, you know, the, it's not exactly medieval times. Yeah. I think I had only two seasons of exams in my whole year at school. So Christmas time and summertime. Yeah. In between time, hardly any quizzes, tests, assessment. So I would really only two peaks in my year. Now I look at my kids going through school, I've got two grown-up boys, but two teen girls at the moment. Every single day they have to be on their game yeah. for school. It's tests and quizzes and exams and assessments, GPA constantly at the forefront of their minds. Mm-hmm. And And I think parents can sometimes be partly to blame for that. Um, you know, the pressure being put on them to excel and, you know, get scholarships. And it's not enough even to get a 4.4, 4.5, you know, you've got to be in sports, you've got to be doing voluntary work, you've got to be involved in the school, you're trying to build this resume to get into college. And it's just no wonder that, they're crumbling. And yeah. I think there's a big responsibility in parents to really take the pressure off, to give unconditional love and acceptance, regardless of GPA and results, and assure them God will look after you, God will take care of you, work within your human limits and trust God. And it, yeah. so then it becomes an exercise of faith.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the best things for me has been, and as I look back over the last couple of years, I can say this is one of the greatest blessings uh, to me when it comes to to managing this sort of thing. Is a, a small group of uh, friends uh, we get together. Actually, we we just um, we just got together the night before last. We do about every you know every week or so, or two, or or so. And and right now we're. This sounds really nerdy, but we're nerds. Uh, right now we're reading through T.S. Eliot's uh, Four Quartets and you know, taking a, taking one each each time and, and, and talking about it. But we always deviate off into all sorts of other things. That's one of the things that I'm the kind of person who typically, if there's some sort of uh, obligation or event or whatever, and it gets canceled, I'm kind of relieved because I have that time back <laughs> to do what I want. <laughs> if that ever gets canceled... I'm kind of crushed, and oh, it's a man. it's a situation where yeah I'm the only non-singer songwriter in this group of, of five or six guys, and and uh, so it's a really busy group of people touring and doing it, trying to find the time together to do that is hard, but we do it, and that is something I wouldn't give anything for. But I I think that there are a lot of people, especially men, for whom finding friendship. Uh, especially the older they get in life, is really difficult. Uh, do you have any any uh, words of, of counsel or advice for someone who would say, I really do need those sorts of uh, friendships and relationships, but I don't know how to start?
1: Yeah, I've got a chapter in Reset on relationships because I found myself, I sacrificed friendships in the past for the sake of ministry opportunities, and just realizing that although you know I have a very happy marriage I've got a wonderful wife I do need men in my life and I've made a, a much bigger effort to do that and for me a lot of it's actually been through fishing um Ooh. you know going up northern michigan and usually not with christians actually just you know yeah. it's really good for me to mix with non um, Christians, non-academics. I don't have to perform. I'm not there for counselling. I'm not there to minister. I just—it's just men being men and just relaxing and, and on yeah. the river in God's creation, with with people that are just salt of the earth, you know, yeah. just classic patriotic Americans. And I find that just so incredibly refreshing. And I really. It's not as it's not a discipline for me to do it now it used to be like you've got to force yourself to go and do this, David mm-hmm. take the time off now I need it, and I know I can't survive without it. I have a
0: friend who was uh, participating in a volunteer fire department uh, where nobody else there was a Christian, and he he built these really, really strong and solid uh relationships. It, it was good for him, and he also was uh, was able to be in a situation where he wasn't. Known as a yeah, minister, yeah. they didn't know what he did, so it didn't put yep. those uh, those barriers up until he was preaching at a church, and one of these guys, wife had brought him along with her, and he suddenly saw him and thought, "Oh no." It uh, thought back to everything he he had said in front of him and so forth, and it was uh, but that was the way that he he found to come in and to and to to sort of disconnect himself from his role
1: yeah it's and so
0: relieving
1: yeah. and and you know fishing's my way but there's lots of ways to do that one of my friends has started doing martial arts locally and just find a great way to you get the physical exercise he gets time with his sons he's making some progress in something he's learning but most of all it's just people who would not normally be mixing with and i think that is really key especially for ministry leaders mm-hmm. to to get out of our christian bubble and and just get amongst people that and it enriches your ministry too. It's it's not totally detached. You come back to ministry aware of need far more yeah. and you know, forced to connect with different language. And it's just it's a very wholesome, edifying relationship that, that can be built. Well the book is Reset: Living a Grace-Based
0: Life in a Burnout Culture by David Murray. I really, really recommend this book to you and refresh. Uh, by his wife, Shauna, as well. Uh, And so check those books out. I think they could really, really be helpful to you now or in the future or in helping you to sort of bear with and, and carry the burdens of somebody that you love. David Murray, thanks for being with us today.
1: Thanks so much, Russell. It's a pleasure.
0: This is Russell Moore, and you've been listening to Signposts.